Good morning, everyone. Um, today, we're going to be reading the book of Psalm, chapter 19. You can refer to the screen behind me or using your own Bible. Psalm, chapter 19. The heavens declared the glory of God. The skies proclaimed the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They have used no words. But no sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth, their, vo the, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuits to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving lights to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my Lord, and my Redeemer. Thanks, Jonathan, and morning again. Everyone, I've only been at Modbury for about a year or so, so I'm still kind of Getting, getting used to things a little bit. One of, one of the things I've really enjoyed, though, is being able to have four churches part of the same network that are, that are so close together and being able to run combined ministries and, and just being able to have that, that fellowship beyond our own church walls together. And um, one of the ways that's, that's played out is our Big Question series that we ran last year. And if you were around for that, you, you might remember that um, we were asking the question, what would make God worth believing in? Uh, and we, we tackled the most common answers that people gave to that question. And, and the most popular answer we, we got was that God would be worth believing in if he showed himself to me in some way. Uh, so in other words, there are lots of people in our community, and, and perhaps this includes you as, as well, um, who are prepared to believe in God, but they, they just don't think that he's revealed himself enough in a clear enough way. Uh, it's clearly not an issue for King David, who writes Psalm 19. Uh, which, which we just read, he, he thinks that God has done more than enough to reveal himself. Uh, and in particular, as he describes for us in this psalm, God, God has revealed himself to us both in creation and also in his word as well. And, and, and what that means is that our response to God matters. Uh, so we're gonna, we'll unpack the psalm together and, and, and we'll see if David makes a, a compelling case for God revealing himself to us in this way. Uh, and what we'll, we'll also see what it means for us right now, reading this 3,000 years after, after David wrote it in the first place. Uh, so the first point to make is that God has revealed himself to us in creation. Uh, verse 1, the, the verse that we had for the All Ages spot, the, the heavens, David says, declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Uh, so when, when King David looks up, I mean, not in here because there's a roof, obviously, but, but when, he, when he looks up at the sky, he sees God's glorious handiwork. Uh, the skies, as, as he looks at them, they tell him something about God in the, in the same way that, that a beautiful painting 
reveals the, the skill and the taste and the talent of the artist. Uh, the following verses, he tells us, day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. And yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Uh, the sky obviously can't talk using words in the, in the same, way, same way that we do. And, and, and yet every day, David says, it, it preaches to us a, a sermon about who God is. Uh, so on a, a nice summer's day like today, the, the, the sky shows us something of God's glorious beauty. Uh, on a thundery, stormy night, it, it shows us something of God's fearsome power. And as we, we gaze at stars that we, we know through, through science, we know that they're an almost infinite distance away from us. It, it reveals something of, of God's magnitude, just, just how awesome and beyond our understanding God is. Uh, the sun also speaks to us about who God is. Uh, David tells us that it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Now the sun has, it's got a bit of a, a beauty to it, like a, like a groom all, all shaved and suited up and ready for his wedding day. Um, in fact, it's a beauty too dazzling for us to look at. We, we can't just stand and stare at the sun. Now, the, the sun is strong. It gives us light. It gives us life. Its warmth fills the earth. Um, it's funny, I preached this sermon a couple of months ago at, at um, Modbury and it, the sermon was scheduled for mid-January and I thought, oh, it'll be a nice sunny day. I'll be able to use that as a great example. It turned out to be 18 degrees and absolutely belting down with rain and the sun wasn't visible at all. So people had to use their imagination, but, but we don't look outside. It's a, it's a beautiful day today. We, we, can, we can see the, the sun shining in all, all its glory. And, and, and as we look at the sun, we're, we're experiencing something of God's glory, God's power, God's provision, God's all-encompassing presence. And what we see in the, the sky, the, the sun, and, and indeed in, in all of creation, from the, from the biggest things to the smallest things, uh, it's just a hint of who God is. Uh, works of art that, that declare the, the skill and the glory of the artist. Uh, and so the more that we understand about creation, from the, the largest star in the universe to the, the tiniest little molecule, uh, the more we grasp of God's glory. Uh, in the book of Romans, uh, which was written about a thousand years after this psalm was written, the, the Apostle Paul declares that, similarly to what David says, that, that God has made himself known in his creation. In fact, so much so that, that we're accountable to how we respond to God for what he's revealed. Uh, he tells us, uh, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So a bit like David in the psalm, Paul is telling us here that the world and the, and the universe around us, they, they express to us God's power and, and God's personality in a, in a way that we ought to recognize and respond to. Now, as we observe and experience the natural world, it should provoke in us an awareness of a, a creator whose, whose glory is being reflected in his creation. It should drive us to, to seek after this creator. 
Paul is saying, if you've experienced the wonder of creation, you'll be held to account for how you respond to it. So I wonder, do you ever take the time to just gaze on creation when, when you're taking a walk or, or looking outside to gaze on God's creation and, and take in his glory? You know, do you praise him for what he's created? Now, you, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, maybe, maybe God's revealed something to himself in, in creation, but how does it actually help us to know him, right? Maybe it shows us that he's, that he's clever and creative, but, but how does it prove to me that God is good? How does it help me to know how God wants me to live? Well, that brings us to our second point in Psalm 19, which is that God has revealed himself to us in his word. Uh, so as we, we read through verses 7 to 11 of that psalm, we see David praising God for, for his word. Uh, God's creation and, and God's word, that they each help us to, to better understand the other. Um, so it's as we look at the sun and look at the sky and look at all the things God's created, it, it kind of gives us a bit of a, a knowledge in our senses of who God is. It, it helps us to kind of feel what we, what we know in God's word. But it's only in the Bible that we actually see all of God's character and all of God's will on display, it, it kind of gives us the, the framework to make sense of what we see and experience in the world around us. So, so the creation and, and the word kind of work together to help us to know God. Uh, so God's word or, or his law, David tells us, is perfect. It's trustworthy. It's right. It's radiant. It's righteous. It's firm. Makes the simple person wise. God's word gives joy to the heart. It gives light to the eyes. It, it refreshes the soul. And you can tell as you read this psalm that, that David is deeply impacted by God's word. It's, it's having an effect on him. Uh, in verse 10, he declares that God's words are more precious than gold. They're sweeter than honey. See, the God who created us, the God who created everything, the God who holds the universe in his hands, this God has revealed himself to us and, and he's called us into a relationship with him. There's, there's nothing that could be more precious or more sweet than that. At verse 11, David says, By them, by your words, your servant, so himself, is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. So God's word offers us both warning and reward. Uh, it shows us who God is. It shows us what God has done for us. It shows us what it looks like to live a life that's pleasing to God. But it also warns us of the dangers and the consequences of drifting away from God or, or rejecting God. Uh, now, when David talks about God's law, God's statutes, God's precepts, all, the, all these words that he uses for it, he's talking about the word of God that was available to him at that time, which, which was probably only the first five books of our modern day Bibles. Uh, but even in, those work, even in those books, God reveals so much of himself to us. Uh, we, we see him creating the universe. Uh, we see God making awesome promises to his people. We, we see him beginning to keep those promises as he rescues his people from slavery. Uh, we see him giving his presence with his people, dwelling with them. We see his laws, which give us a, a window into his perfect character and, and into how he wants us to live. 
but we're also faced with the reality of sin as well. We, we see God's people rejecting him in lots of ways, and we see the, the choice that we all have between living for God and rejecting him. And yet for us today, we, we have so much more of the picture than David did. Back then, David had maybe the first five books of the Bible. We get to see how the story has played out in the rest of the Bible. We, we see the problem of human sin even more clearly than David did. We, we get to see how all, the, all of David's descendants on the throne after him got it wrong and, and failed to obey God. Uh, but yet we also get to see the faithfulness and graciousness of God in, in sending his own son Jesus to die for us when we, when we didn't deserve it. Uh, we see the mighty power of God in, in raising Jesus back to life again, as, as we sang about in that kid's song just earlier. And like we sang in the kid's song as well, we, we have that certain promise that Jesus is going to return one day and that he's going to set things right. God's word not only shows us how awesomely holy God is, it, it shows us his amazing love for us as well. Uh, so God's word is precious and it's sweet because it warns us not to ignore God and it, and it points us to the ultimate reward that God offers us as well. Now, perhaps you're here this morning and the, and the Bible is a bit of a mystery to you. Maybe you're just here checking out church, working out what it's all about, which is, which is great. Uh, maybe you're, you're fairly new to, to church or, or to Christianity or, or whatever your circumstances might be. Um, we're reading in this psalm that the Bible is meant to be precious and sweet, but maybe it just seems confusing to you. Maybe it just seems like a bit of a mystery. My encouragement, if that's you, would be to begin by reading one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, which you find at the beginning of the New Testament. You might find it helpful reading it with someone, maybe someone from here who you know and trust, maybe one of the staff members, someone who you can ask questions with as you go through it. And as you do that, see what you think of Jesus. See what you think of Jesus, because all of the Bible is, is about Jesus. It, it fits together to point us to Jesus, to show us who he is, why we need him, and, and why he's so great. Uh, for me personally, like when, I, when I have a quiet moment in life and I, and I just stop and I, and I think, what, what is it that makes me so certain that Christianity is real and, and that you know, the, that um, God is there and all that, all that sort of thing. It's the Bible. Uh, the, the Bible is a book that's written over 1,500 years by about 40 different authors, three different languages, uh, across three different continents. Um, there's at least half a dozen different genres in the Bible. By, by any logic, it should be the most incoherent book ever written. Like, like it should just not make sense at all. And yet it, as we read it, we, we see that it fits together perfectly to, to point us to Jesus. Every part of the Bible is, is there in some way pointing us to Jesus, the ultimate revelation of God. All right, so God has revealed himself to us in creation. He's, he's revealed himself to us in his word as well, ultimately by, by showing us who Jesus is. And finally, we, we see that we need to respond to God's revelation. And we see in the, the final couple of verses of the psalm how, how David responds to God as he encounters God in creation and as he encounters God in his word. It, it drives David to prayer. 
Uh, so picking it up in verse 12, David prays to God. Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. And then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. What we're seeing here is that the, the purity of, of God's word is, is really cutting David to the heart. And it, it's making David ask, like, who can stand before a perfect God like this? Uh, a couple of years ago, Alicia, my wife, and I got invited to a, a friend's birthday party. She was having a, a bonfire birthday party. And, and, and she said to us, look, don't, don't dress up or anything. Just, we'll have a bonfire raging. Just, just wear really old clothes. Just come along, come along in daggy clothes. Uh, I made the mistake of listening to her. So I, I went along in track pants and this old flanny jacket and sneakers, just like the sort of outfit you'd be ashamed to wear alone at home really so i rocked up in it and the, the bonfire ended up being this like tiny little fire right on the corner of a property miles away from where anyone was everyone else there was dressed immaculately like um the guys were in chinos rolled up at the bottom with boat shoes and no socks and collared shirts and everything and the, the girls were all dressed up as well and i just rocked up in trackies and sneakers and a flanny jacket and uh, I stood out like a sore thumb, it would be, it would be fair to say. My, my shabbiness had nowhere to hide whatsoever in that moment. And, and God's word in, in its perfect purity does, does kind of a similar thing to David. Yeah, it, it exposes his sin. It, it exposes our sin. It, it exposes our willful sin, those areas of my life that, that don't line up with the way that God is calling me to live. And, and it makes us concerned about our, our hidden faults as well, those things that I do wrong without, without even realizing it. And so David pleads to God, please God, guard my heart from, from those willful, defiant sins that I do that I know are wrong. And, and forgive me as well of, of those, those subtle forms of sin that, that, that just slip under the radar of my conscience. And then, then David says, I'll be blameless and innocent. And the beauty of the gospel message is that God answers this prayer. Through Jesus, we can, we can stand before God, forgiven, blameless, and innocent. And we can do that because Jesus took our sin on himself. Uh, so on one level, God's word is a, is a devastating mirror to our sin. It, it, it shows us the, the problem that we have in, in big capital letters. But on the other hand, it's a wonderful revelation of God's grace it shows us just how loving and merciful God is to us and as David beholds God's glory we see in the final verse that his desire is to please God in every part of his life he ends the psalm by praying may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight Lord my rock and my redeemer God has revealed himself to us in, in creation and in his word. And our right response, just like David's was, is, is to, to turn from our sin and to live for him. And the power that we have to do that comes from the spirit of God working in us through the word of God. Um, and so can I encourage you? I, I, um, I get the Paraka emails each week. I, I saw, I think we're 20% of the way through the year this year, are we, Ada? That's just blown my mind. I've... Feel like I've wasted a lot of time <laughs> this year, but um, in the in the eighty percent of the year that we that we have left, can I can I encourage you to to make this a a year where you are deep in God's Word? Um, 
do you believe that, the, 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 that your Bible is the most valuable thing that, that you own? Do you believe that? Uh, Alicia and I got our wills drawn up um, late last year. It was a slightly morbid process when, you, when you're going through it, but kind of part of being an adult. And, and as part of it, our, our lawyer was asking us, what, what are the assets that, that you have? What, what are your most valuable possessions? And it was a fairly short conversation, which is, which is good because lawyers charge by the minute. Um, but, but I did think to myself afterwards, you know, I've, I've got a book that reveals the one true God and, and shows the way to eternal life. Now, obviously, the retail value doesn't quite affect it. It doesn't quite reflect it because you can walk in a Kurong and buy a Bible for, for seven bucks. But, but what we have in God's word is of greater value than all the houses and all the cars in the world combined. Do you believe that? And if you do, are you giving God's word the ultimate position of influence in your life? Because whether or not we realize it, there are, there are lots of different voices everywhere that, that speak into our lives. And so the question is, is the Bible the one that you're taking your lead from? Um, is it shaping the, the decisions and the priorities in your life? Uh, when you think about the big decisions you made last year or the, or the big decisions you've got to make this year, like who to vote for, um, what school to send your kids to, um, what, what you spend money on, th- those sort of questions. Um, is, is the Bible shaping those decisions? And is reading the Bible the most important thing that you do each day? Now, that, that's the kind of discipline that, that comes from knowing that God's word is precious and sweet, even when it doesn't, even when it doesn't feel that way. Because I, I don't know about you, but certainly for me, and my guess for most of us, is that uh, most of the time, our Bible reading experience is a bit more dry than what David describes here. Um, sometimes, you know, we read the Bible and, and something might really hit us between the eyes or, or something really speaks into what we're going through that day. Um, but, but often it doesn't feel that way. It can feel like we're, we're going through the motions um, and maybe what we're reading doesn't necessarily feel like it's speaking right into what we're going through. I think what can help with this tension is approaching our Bible reading with, with the long game in mind. Uh, the picture that we get of David as, as we read about him in, in um, the Bible and in, in the Psalms that he writes is that he's not the sort of guy who just picks up his Bible every now and then, like once in a, once in a blue moon. He, he's a guy who's soaked in it. He, he's constantly reading God's word. And, and, and the more time that he spends in it, the more he sees the beauty in it. Now, reading the Bible might seem more effective some days for us than, than it does on other days, but, but across a year or, or across... 10 years or, or 20 years or 50 years, it's, it's going to have a big impact. It's a bit like eating food, right? Like I, if I think over the last year or so, I've, I've had some pretty memorable meals. I've had, I've had some meals I could, I could describe to you, but, but most of them I've forgotten. Most of them I can't even remember. But then I'm alive, right? The, the, the food has done its job over that time. It's, it's nourished me and it's sustained me, even if not everyone has been memorable in the moment. And, and God's word over time does the same thing in our hearts. In fact, I reckon there's something really special about speaking to someone who's, who's been following Jesus for 50, 60, 70 years, and so, someone who's just lived in the Bible and, and seeing how God's word shapes their whole view 
of life and, and all of their conversations. Um, so as we open our Bibles for the, the 80% or whatever of this year that, that we've got left and, and beyond then as well, um, let's do it knowing that these are the words of the God who created the whole universe, the God who loves and dwells with his people and, and wants us to know him. Uh, knowing that, that this part of God's word that I'm reading today is an important part of his awesome rescue plan, a, a rescue plan that he, that he calls us to be part of. And so we can come to God's word expecting that he's going to speak to us through it, expecting that there's something that he wants us to, to know, to believe, to be challenged by, to be encouraged by as we read it, and, and expecting that as we continue to soak ourselves in the Bible, that, that it's going to become sweeter and it's going to become more and more precious for us. So how can you prioritize your time and, and make the most of your time in God's word this year? Um, how can you take things to the next level? Um, what, what are the things that we can do each, each day, each week, as we read, that, that can help us to go, go deeper into God's word across the course of a year? Well, if you're not in the habit of reading the Bible regularly, maybe it's just a case of starting small and, and building it into the routine of our lives. Um, perhaps over breakfast, uh, maybe on audio as, as we drive to work. Maybe it's just getting up a little bit earlier in the morning. Just starting with a, a small platform that we can, that we can build off. Uh, perhaps, and this is, this is probably where I fall into most, you, you find yourself just getting into box-ticking mode with Bible reading. You want it to be a passion, but, but it's more, more of an obligation sometimes. Well, if that's you, maybe you can just shake up the routine a little bit. Maybe, maybe add something extra into it. Maybe um, set a goal that each time that I read the Bible, there's, there's going to be something that I take out of it that I'm going to pray about and that I'm going to talk to someone else about to get other people involved as well. Uh, maybe you find the Bible hard to understand. Maybe it's just a bit intimidating picking it up and reading it. Don't know where to begin and don't know what to make of it when you do. Um, as I said before, maybe try reading it one-to-one with someone, starting with a, with a gospel of Jesus' life. Maybe it's reading the Bible alongside a, a devotional book or, or a Bible study book as well, just, just to help you ease your way into it a bit as well. I'm sure Ada or Scott would be happy to make some recommendations with that. And um, sorry. Do you call them community groups here? Yeah, every church has different names for them. But, but community groups are great. Um, just a really great way, not only to get into God's word, but, but to be able to get into it with other people as well and, and to be able to sharpen one another and to be able to care and pray for one another as well. Uh, so my hope and prayer for Modbury, for Paraka, and, and, and for all of our churches this year is, is that we would be soaking ourselves in God's word, that we'd be seeing just how precious and how sweet it is, and, and that like David, we would behold God in all of his glory in his word, that we would behold God in all of his glory in creation, and, and that as we, we take in just how awesome and, and how loving and how gracious God is, that our heartfelt desire, just like David, would be to live lives that are pleasing in his sight. Right, so let me pray for us. Our loving and powerful God, our rock and our redeemer, we praise you for your glory which the heavens declare and which your word reveals. We ask that you would show us the preciousness and the sweetness of your word as we soak ourselves in it. And as we behold your glory, uh, we pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. 
And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.